Hello and welcome to Freelance Party Broadcast, the podcast brought to you by Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers. I'm Faye and this is Jess. Hiya. Today we are joined by Beth Edwards, a nutritional therapist who is here to tell us how freelancers can eat well. So Beth, firstly, let's know about you and what a nutritional therapist is. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, So I'm the founder of Beth Edwards Nutrition, a clinic that focuses on no-nonsense approaches to eating well and living well. I'm a registered nutritional therapist and big advocate of intuitive eating. I've trained in health psychology, so blend the emotional and the physical. I look after the person, not just the biochemistry. Nutritional therapy can help support people um, with a range of conditions. So anyone suffering from fatigue and burnout, mood fluctuations, irregular hormones, or anyone struggling with weight loss. And to top it off, I'm a freelancer and have been for the last five years. Amazing. Yeah. I need a nutritionist, I'm going to be honest. I am awful (laughs) with my eating. So like even like when we usually record these podcasts, I never buy breakfast. Yeah. Jess usually has to like plow breakfast into me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All these kind of things. So it was a big deal for me today to actually come and have my breakfast. Yeah, normally I go into Sainsbury's and I buy some brioches, some chocolate brioches, which is probably like <laughs> the worst thing. But I'm like, Faye, eat these now <laughs> yeah. before we start recording because otherwise like her tummy starts rumbling during recording. So it's yeah. good. But today we didn't even need to bring breakfast because <laughs> Beth brought breakfast for us. So can you, you tell us what, what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So this is my take on a banana bread, but it's kind of made into a sort of breakfast loaf. So it uses some nice ground down oat flour. Um, it's got loads of nuts and seeds in there, some chia seeds in particular to get that protein hit, um, loads of hazelnuts. And because I thought it's a special day, we're recording a podcast, I put some chocolate in the middle. So it's yes. got a little bit of indulgence, dark chocolate, full of polyphenols and all these good things. So yeah, hopefully we can enjoy that afterwards. So chocolate can actually be good for you? It can, yes. <laughs> I think. News. The word that's really boring and everyone hates, but it is the moderation word. Mm. So if you're looking at chocolate, it depends on your your sort of sweet tooth or lack of, but tend to go for kind of higher cacao percentages. So anything 70% and above, it's really good. It's full of an antioxidant called polyphenols, which is also found in tea. Um, which just basically means that it's a little bit of a boost for your body. But it does have some caffeine in there as well. So just to kind of watch out if you're thinking about cutting back on caffeine, dark chocolate in particular can be quite a hit of caffeine that people aren't always aware of. So. I had no idea that there was caffeine in chocolate. No. Yeah. You have it in the evening, don't you? Yeah, like, exactly. exactly. food, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so is just... it basically like the darker chocolates that are better for you then? Pretty much, yeah. Because some of the sort of more sort of sweeter milk chocolates tend to rely on sugar being added to kind of get that palatable taste so the higher you go in percentages it does get more bitter so you can actually get 100% cacao which is very very bitter but what it does do is it means that you're never ever going to overindulge on a bit of 100% cacao chocolate so you'll have one one piece and that's essentially your kind of moderation limiting factor is that So more on breakfast then. I always find that obviously with skipping breakfast, does that have any implications to your day? Like, is there any real health implications of skipping breakfast? Mm -hmm. This is a great question because I think it's just this perennial debate around do we eat breakfast, do we not? And I think to be honest, this whole kind of thing around breakfast is king. Actually, I think it's more of a marketing strategy than ever. Um, Yeah, I think big cereal companies have sort of come in and said, breakfast is the best, you should have it. And to be fair, for a long time, we also thought that in the sort of research world. So we thought you had to start the day with your biggest meal and then you kind of get them smaller as you go through. Um, But to be honest, you know, if you're not a breakfast person, 
don't force it. I think my advice would be if you're getting up at sort of 6, 6.30 and trying to shove down some porridge quite mm. stodgy in the morning, and your tummy's not liking it, just don't do it. And lots of my colleagues in nutrition, they won't eat breakfast till 11 or even just skip it and have lunch. And that may be because their schedule is too hectic or they're on a, a fast or actually they're just not hungry. And that's completely fine. Um, within nutritional therapy, we take every individual on their individual level. So mm. one thing might work for some person. Like for me, I can't get out of the house without breakfast. I'm a real I'm the kind, same. You're the same, Jess. Yeah, I just can't kind of get out. I can't even function. That's my husband. <laughs> um, but some people really can't stomach it. So to be honest, I think it's it depends on you. The only thing I would say is if you're not having breakfast, but you are kind of hitting Pret at 9am and sort of going for like a kind of sweetened latte or a pan au chocolat or something. Now and again, that's fine. But if that's your kind of crux because you, or your, your crutch rather, if that's what you're going to because you've skipped breakfast and you're sort of feeling a bit hungry, it might be better to think about finding meals that work for you. So perhaps taking breakfast in a Tupperware so you could do a nice chia seed pudding, have it at your desk, rather than kind of skipping breakfast so you can purposefully go and fill up on on things that actually might not keep your blood sugar stable throughout the day. So I can talk a bit about blood sugars because I think, again, we hear these words that are bandied around, but actually it's really hard to kind of know mm. what they mean. So in terms of energy, you want to have a nice stable amount of energy throughout the day. And that's really reliant on what you eat and how your blood sugars respond to that food. So basically, if we eat um, any carbohydrate or any protein, um, that sort of gets broken down into sugar in the body and that enters our bloodstream. And that's then transported all around the body and delivered to your muscle cells so you can use for energy. Um, it's all pretty straightforward. It's all really good. Mm. But it relies on a hormone to help with that process. And that's called insulin. And that's essentially like the key that unlocks the sugar out of the blood and it goes into the cells. So sugar and insulin are really finely paired. So if you have a kind of really, really heavy refined carb breakfast at nine, you'll get loads of insulin to deal with the blood sugars. And then you tend to find there's a bit of a crash that happens afterwards. About 11am. About 11am. <laughs> and then you start reaching for the caffeine. Fear. So it's, again, we're not about kind of food shaming and food demonising, but it's just thinking about the impact of the food and how that works with your body, basically. So interesting because I noticed you said about um, some of your colleagues or people who work in nutrition fasting mm, and yeah. I, I'd love to know more about that because I've always seen fasting in a diet context of when mm. people are trying to lose weight. Um, so it's interesting to hear that, that that's actually something that mm. nutritionists or people who work in nutrition do. Could, yeah. could you like tell us yeah. how they do that? Because it's only in recent years that you really hear about it and it has become a bit of a trend because yeah. before I like really knew about fasting today, I used to kind of see it as like religions would have like mm. fasting kind of ceremonies and things. So now it's kind of... I hear about all these health like benefits and things that go along with it, but it's only in recent years that it's become a thing. Yeah, absolutely right. I think I've seen it spike in terms of trends, but I think the basic principle behind it, so people do something called intermittent fasting, it's called IF for short. And the idea is that you basically shorten your eating window. So some people try and eat only between the hours of sort of 12 until 8pm and then fast either side of that. And the idea is that if you're not sort of putting food into your body, you're then not having to deal with the blood sugar issue. A while ago, there was lots of stuff around grazing and kind of snacking every couple of hours. And that's still a popular idea. And there is a bit of evidence for that. But people who fast think that if you kind of eat 
regularly, you're always spiking your blood sugar a little bit, and that's causing a stress on your energy levels and on your body. So the idea that it is if, if you fast, you're then actually cutting all of that out, and you can let your body find its normal rhythm with its hormones and your energy levels, if that makes sense. Mm. So there's loads of stuff around weight loss, but there's also stuff around attention span. So actually people find they have more clarity and they can work for longer if they're fasting. And another basic principle as well is around the idea that, you know, we all have detox organs in our body. So your liver and your kidneys, um, even your breath, you tend to sort of detox things out and sweating. But it's just about the fast actually helping your body to detox better. So um, it just gives your body a boost. So some people really, really love it and it works really well. And you can do the five, two. So you might eat on five, five days normally. And then two days you might restrict your calories as well. So you can either do it by shortening your, your time of eating or you can um, have fewer calories on certain days. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's interesting from like the attention kind of side yeah. of things, but especially because Jess, like we said, like at the beginning of this podcast, is um, the fact that just like usually would make me have breakfast (laughs) and it kind of makes me more alert and things like that. But then I don't know if that's a mind over matter thing Mm. where that's what we've been told all this time. Yeah. So that's really interesting. I'm like, yeah, I don't feel so guilty about skipping breakfasts now. <laughs> I, think, I think that's it, because I think for so long we're so stuck in the routine of breakfast, lunch and dinner. Mm. And they, that often fits around our work schedule too. So we'll have breakfast and then we'll have lunch at between 12 and 1. And that's true for most people because that fits in with work. Mm. But actually, those rules or the kind of ways of working and living have only come about since we've all sat in offices and, and we've changed how we work. So... I think we have to also kind of remember that it's there are no hard and fast rules about it. So our listeners are freelancers. Mm-hmm. So many of them work from home or they are on the move. And so breakfast is often a meal that can be skipped. Mm-hmm. Um, a question I had was about lunch. Mm. Because I think for freelancers, like I know when I work from home, I end up just eating biscuits and just having biscuit after biscuit after biscuit. And I don't end up having like a proper lunch. Yeah. So is there a right time to have lunch? Is it completely dependent on each person or is there a, a set time? And what should we be having at lunch to power us through the day? So I think, again, similar to breakfast, there isn't really that perfect time. As I was sort of saying, our work dictates our eating, really. So if you have to eat between the hours of half 12 and half one, that's the way it is. But quite rightly, with freelancers, there's no issue with that, mostly if you're working at home. So I would just try and get people to think about their hunger signals and their hunger cues and be led by them. I'm also a freelancer and I work at home quite a lot and sometimes it gets to half 11 and I really want to have my lunch. And because there are no colleagues around me, you know, looking down at me thinking, it's not even midday yet, but <laughs> I could quite rightly have lunch at half 11. But usually I'm not actually hungry. I'm just bored or distracted or I've got a piece of work I really don't want to do. And I just think lunch is a really, a really great option right now. Um, So I think for me, it's sort of saying, first of all, there's no perfect time. Everybody's got to find their own way of working. But equally, it's about thinking, is am I really hungry or am I just a bit bored? Because I think that's quite an interesting distinction to make. And it's a really hard one, actually, because so often food is not really about hunger. It's about emotion and it's about timings of the day or it's about whether you've had a bad call with a client or something. You're going to reach for something else to distract you. 
Um, like that emotional snacking. You're like, oh, yeah. I'm just bored. I just, oh, I've had a bad day. I just really want a biscuit. And mm-hmm. it's that quick pick me up. And But I think it often also just makes you then feel really bad afterwards. And yeah. It's a hard one. And I think there's a really nice movement coming along, which I really subscribe to. And it's called intuitive eating. So it says what it does on the tin, really. But it's about really tuning into how you feel and, and your hunger cues and being led by them. And it's it's not saying we can never eat biscuits again, but it's saying if we do, let's try and be more mindful about when we do and the reasons behind we're having a biscuit. And even if it, it is an emotional reason, that's okay, but it's just making sure we're aware and we feel that we can have ownership over what we're eating. So what kind of foods are good to have at lunchtime to power us mm-hmm. through the day? So I'm going to be really boring and mention it again, but it's this balance moderation thing. So ideally, you want to get all three of your macronutrients on your plate at lunch. So we're talking some nice complex carbs. So that might be a sweet potato or um, some whole grain pasta or some brown rice, some rye bread. Then you want to get a nice mix of protein. So just straight up protein, whatever you fancy. It could be meat-based or it could be a plant-based option. So you could go for some chickpeas or some lentils or some tempeh, uh, tofu. And then you also want to make sure you've got some nice healthy fats in there. So again, with the healthy fats, it's thinking about omegas and it's thinking about maybe some olive oil, some oily fish, um, some nuts and some seeds, some black seeds to sprinkle on a salad. So basically, I'd sort of say... Go for whatever you fancy, but as long as you follow that basic principle that you're having, all three macronutrients, and you basically want to have, if you think about the plate, this is quite hard to do on a podcast, but imagine your (laughs) plate, you want to split it in half. And again, what I didn't mention just then, which I should have done, is that you want to make sure you have some nice veg as well. So that might be a salad or it might be some steamed veggies or some roasted veg. So half really ideally should be something like that, some nice veggies and salads. And then you sort of want to go 45 degrees next down. So if you think about a clock face midday and if you sort of go to like 2.30, that's your protein. The rest is carbs and then a tiny slice, a tiny slither of the pie chart needs to be some some nice healthy fats. So if you're working at home, I mean, it's, it's really hard to think about planning your day and making sure you make a good lunch for yourself. So batch cooking is really your friend. And it might be that on a Sunday night, if you have time, you could batch cook a nice curry, portion it out for lunch and then have it throughout the week. But if you're out and about on the go, Leon do some fantastic lunch options. They're a bit bigger than um, a lunch, I would say. But if you're able to kind of tolerate it and not feel too full and too tired in the afternoon, they do a really nice blend of all of the three macros and some nice veggies that also taste really good. Because ultimately, it's got to taste good. Otherwise, Mm. what's the point? Yeah, that's good that you said Leon because... Like, yeah, we, we love we love Leon. <laughs> we, yeah. We've got one near our office, and we we've been quite a few times, haven't we? Don't yeah. know how healthy halloumi is. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you want to tell me, it's good for me. Say it now. Please. The last <laughs> two times we've been, I think we've ended up getting burger and chips each, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to go with what you fancy. You mentioned as well, like speaking to the freelancers just then, batch cooking and things. Mm. You touched on portions. What is the right portion? Because I always find that. I'll always feel like I'm really hungry when I have my lunch. This is so true. And I buy everything. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll try and eat it all. And then Jess will go, your eyes are bigger than your belly. And I'll be like, mm. no, 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 no. So then I'll prove her wrong and I'll eat it. And then I'll try and fall asleep. Yeah. Though she won't always finish it. It's like, a, <laughs> I, I feel like her mum. Like we go, to, we went to Nando's the other day and <laughs> I came back. I didn't even get anything from Nando's carrying this massive bag 
And our colleague Martin was like, Jess, how much are you eating? I was like, no, this is all phase two. <laughs> there was a burger, chips, halloumi. Well, it I was didn't. a big <laughs> portion. It was a big portion. But it was because yeah. I had pre- I'd just got my appetite back from being ill. So I was like, I want to eat everything yeah <laughs> anything yeah and I was like yeah. you know when you've just been ill and you're like I fancy something and mm. it's that first time that you have like your little craving and I'm like well, I'm gonna have to buy the whole shop on <laughs> yeah this is a regular recurrence thing oh yeah <laughs> so regularly I buy too much food well you know what I think there's probably two things I would suggest so firstly again it goes back to this kind of more intuition around food and actually if you're hungry and then you eat to a certain point and you're full you can just stop I think so much of the portion sizes we get whether it comes from a sort of food service outlet or a retailer generally they kind of are trying to cater for everybody but they're going to miss the mark for some people so it might be that actually it's just a bit too much food for you and get the doggy bag that can be your new your new best mate can be the doggy bag um, sometimes when we're really hungry and we sit down and we kind of go for it, it might be that you sort of are eating a bit too quickly, perhaps, <laughs> and that slowing down might just help pace yourself with the food. That could be something to think about. But yeah. <laughs> so basically, my dad and I have this theory that when you're a child and you have your dinners, at the end of it, you're always promised something mm. like a biscuit or a pudding where it's like, if you eat all of this, then you're going to have this. So whenever we go for dinner, we both spot it on each other as well because we find it so funny. There's like, you'll finish, but you won't actually probably finish. You'll still graze because you're like, I need to make sure that the whole plate is like <laughs> clean. Yeah. So do you think that has an implication on it too? Massively. I completely agree with you there. I think... I think, again, it's probably generations before us when food was scarce, the idea that leaving any food behind was just awful. Um, but I think these days that's not so relevant. So actually the whole adage around finish your plate is forcing a, a sort of a funny message, I think, on people that actually isn't necessary. Mm. Um, and it's also, it's interesting what you were saying, that if you finish your main meal, you'll then get the dessert. And it's always seen as dessert is the treat. So it's sort of this carrot at the end of the stick and actually, if you're full with your mane, you're full with your mane and you can finish and stop. Um, but I've got a friend who's Italian and he always says to me, um, there's an Italian phrase, which I've now forgotten. But essentially, if you leave some food on your plate, a tiny bit of food because you're full, it's called mother's shame in Italian. <gasps> so talk about emotional manipulation <laughs> yeah. with food. Um, so again, I think it's not just uh, relevant to a UK audience, but also it's probably something that's a global, global phenomenon that would make you feel awful wouldn't it imagine going to like if you were seeing someone that's Italian yeah and, and leaving a bit at the side so I'm gonna have to break up with you yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a like the opposite note like where where Faye leaves food and has a smaller appetite than me I have a massive appetite and I do like quite a lot of like physical activity mm -hmm. in the evening so I normally have bigger lunches but I find still at three o'clock sometimes I'm just starving again. Mm. Like what can you eat at lunchtime that will really fill you up, you know, get you through that 3 p.m. slump? So I would say a couple of things. So firstly, around complex carbs again. So what comes with complex carbs quite often or, or all the time really is fibre. And fibre is just excellent. I can bang on about fibre all day long. <laughs> but essentially it just slows everything down. So it slows down um, digestion and it just means that you get a steady drip of energy across the day. So at lunchtime, if you have a really fibre rich meal, it can then help stabilise energy throughout the afternoon and prevent that dip and that drop off at sort of 3 and 4 p.m. 
Another thing actually is that when we come to lunch, we know that lots of people tend generally sort of will have lots of carbs, a bit of fat, and then not much protein. And protein is really good at helping you sort of fill you up and get you sated. So it's thinking about, are you having enough protein? And again, if you're not really one for weighing, because sometimes that's just impossible to do, you can look at your hand and sort of the fleshy part of your palm where your thumb is, sort of half in you half your hand there, that's how much protein you should be having kind of with each meal. So that kind of gives you a rough eyeball figure. Right, okay. And if you bit, sort of fist up your, your hand, um, again, that's how much, you want two of those for carbs, basically. So two fistfuls of carbs and then half a fist of protein. So that gives you a rough idea because it might be that you're just not having enough protein and then actually you're hit, hitting three and feeling really hungry again. Um, and then also I'd say pair that with a bit of fat. So I think fat was seen as just being awful. And the fat, devil, yeah. Yeah, fat makes you fat and we know that's just not true. And again, if you think about it in terms of calories, I'm a big fan of <laughs> calories. They give us our energy. They're powerhouses. We shouldn't be kind of worried about them. Fat has the most calories than any other macronutrient. So they can help fill you up for longer as well. And they have no impact on blood sugars. So they're not going to cause that roller coaster of up and down again. They just help you feel nice and full. Uh, and they're really important for lots of areas of health as well. So it might be thinking about that as a general. So an example would be maybe roasting a sort of smaller sweet potato, pairing that with a really nice bit of hummus, maybe a bit of halloumi on the side, and then doing a little salad, drizzling it with some olive oil and sprinkling it with some chia seeds or flax seeds to finish. So that's quite a, well, that's a really nice way of just getting all of your macros in there as well as some nice micronutrients. And it's full of fibre from the potato. Make sure you eat your skin because that's loaded with the fibre. And then that should hopefully keep you feeling a little bit more full at three. But having said all of that as well, if your portion sizes, you're feeling good on the portion sizes and you're still feeling hungry, have a snack. That's that's totally fine. And in terms of snacks, you might want to think about some oat cakes. If you if if you ever study nutrition, a sort of unwritten rule is that you must become obsessed with oat cakes, <laughs> as we all are. So some, some oat cakes, some hummus. Maybe put some um, nut butter on, maybe not with the hummus, um, but some different options to put on there just to help you kind of get you through until dinner, particularly if you're doing exercise before dinner, which you might be doing. So I just have one last question from us before we go to some questions from freelancers. Yeah. Um, do you have any like top tips for like easy changes that we can all make to our diet? Something that's like a quick fix if we really don't have the time or money or energy to make big changes what are the little changes we can all make absolutely and that's a really good point I think it's about progress not perfection uh, and even just making some small tweaks across the week will actually add up in the long run and I think with nutrition and with health it's not a sprint it really is a marathon so I think some little tweaks along the way would actually be the best way to make the changes anyway I wouldn't suggest anybody goes out and makes loads of changes because that doesn't really change into long-term um, or sustainable long-term change so first things I would definitely say think about water so particularly in the winter we're just really not very good at thinking about our water intake so 
average person should really be having one and a half litres to two litres a day. And so what you could do and what I do myself actually is put a timer on my phone to make sure I'm drinking regularly. Because if we're getting dehydrated, we're getting sort of like, you know, mind fog, um, things don't go quite right with our digestion. Um, so it's just thinking about making sure we're, we're really, really hydrated. And that's quite a nice, easy one. Secondly, I would challenge people to try some new foods throughout the week. So it might be every Monday you say, I'm going to buy a new vegetable or I'm going to buy a new fruit and I'm just going to see what it tastes like. Because when it comes to kind of fruit and veg and micronutrients, diversity is is king. Sometimes it's great to get in your sort of seven, eight, nine, even 10 portions a day if you can, but making sure there's a really nice mix of colour to make sure you're getting all of the, the right nutrients that you might be missing otherwise. So that's quite a nice one. Oh, that'll be easy because I've seen that Asda just bought a new uh, rainbow pizza, which oh, has like, cool. every vegetable on all the different colours of vegetables on it. That so. sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that'll be how I get all my different colour vegetables. <laughs> just on a pizza. <laughs> on a pizza. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I love that. I'm going to get a look at that. So am I. Yeah. And again, I think it's the other thing I would like people to think about a bit more is just getting in tune with hunger again. So it's just making sure that we're a bit more aware of how we're feeling, how certain foods can react with our body and trying to bring in an element of mindfulness, which I know is really difficult. You know, being freelance myself, sometimes all you have time for is inhaling a quick biscuit and off you go. But if we can build in a bit of time to make sure we're sitting down, we're putting our laptop screens down, we're actually maybe moving away from our desk and eating without looking at anything on our phones as well. I'd really encourage that because I think, you know, we'll have lunch, and we'll answer a quick email. And then after 15 minutes, we're back at it. And it's really thinking about carving out some proper time to feed yourself well and not rush it. So again, chewing nice and gently and slowly and chewing as much as we can uh, to make sure that we're not causing undue stress on our digestive system. So I think I'd probably start with those three. Don't want to overwhelm your listeners, but if we just start nice and slow, then you can build up. Once you've nailed the basics, you can then build up. We've got some questions that have been sent in from freelancers. So firstly, someone asked, how much meat should I be eating? Mm -hmm. I found this really interesting because I'm veggie myself. Mm -hmm. But also there's a lot of documentaries that have come out recently. So things like Game Changers and things like that. And you're finding out so many people are going vegan and all like the health implications and all of that. So what do you think about the meat front? Mm. Like how much should you be eating and... Do you think everyone should be vegan? Like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree with this question. I think it's super interesting. And there is such a monumental rise in veganism, um, whether that be for environmental reasons, ethical um, or health. I think that the biggest driver of veganism is still health, actually. Mm. So there's this perception that going vegan will be better for you. And all these documentaries that come out, like Game Changers, unfortunately, that that really has um, been shown out to be based on anecdotal evidence. And really, it's... There was lots of flaws with how that, that documentary is pulled mm. together. So unfortunately, we can't really use that as a good example of saying veganism is the way to go. But some general kind of stats and figures, and I'll give you the guidance of what the NHS England says. So basically, we're looking at three portions of meat a week, no more. And we're trying to limit processed meats. So the processed meat would be things like bacon, salami, pate, burgers, just because they're often high in salt as well as having high saturated fat levels, which we know is not good for heart health and, and other health conditions. And if sort of grams are your thing, the NHS and Department of Health says that 
if you're eating 90 grams of cooked meat a day, you should really think about reducing that down to 70 grams, um, which is the average daily consumption in the UK. So again, it's sort of going back to that half half a hand when you put it together. That would be what I would say would be an ideal portion. And I agree no more than three times a week. Is, is there like a difference between white meats and red meats? If we're having chicken and, mm-hmm. you know, um, like fish or anything like that, can we be having more of that than red meat or whatever? Yeah, there is a difference. So firstly, when I talk about meat, I should have been clear, fish is out of the equation. So oily fish, you should be looking at at least three portions of oily fish a week. Oh, right. Okay. So that's like your salmon, your mackerel, your anchovies. Um, so that's aside from this, but you're quite right. So the white meat um, chicken, that's actually just lower in something called heme. Heme is a part of your blood circulation system and it's what carries oxygen around. It makes up haemoglobin, which you may have heard of. So red meat just has more heme, basically. But there have been some adverse health outcomes that have been shown with eating a high amount of red meat um, and cancer risk, particularly bowel cancer and um, heart health. So again, it's it's not quite so clear about the red meats and how much we should be having. Some people say more than others. But again, I think if you're thinking three times a week, you could make that three steaks a week if you wanted to. The advice will still stand there as long as you're limiting down the um, processed meat. Right, that's so interesting. Mm. We now have a question from Martin. He asks, is organic produce worth the extra money and what are the health benefits of organic food? I love this question because this debate is still kind of rolling, rolling over. And at the moment, it's, you know, is it worth the extra money? It's a yes and a no answer, really. So I'll talk through what I mean. So I think with organic produce, it depends what you're after. So if you're going for the environmental benefits, there are more robust studies that show actually for the environment, organic is better. But in terms of potential um, health benefits, that's not so clear. So people flag up the issue of this cocktail effect, which basically means if we eat several different pesticides and then they're mixed together for a long time in our bodies, that's referred to as the cocktail effect. And we don't have any long-term evidence to indicate whether that's going to be a real problem for us. So we just don't know about that at the moment. But generally, evidence for organic food being nutritionally superior is actually quite small. The biggest study is a large systematic review, which essentially pulls together lots of different studies over 45 years. That showed little strong evidence that organic is better than conventional foods. And they looked at 233 studies and they still said that actually there's no significant difference in terms of the health benefits of eating organic versus non-organic. And lots of these studies, as well as a caveat to say, they're actually funded by organic charities and non-profits. So we can't really be sure how independent they are. But I think lots of people will go for organic because of the pesticide issue. So the pesticide residues that are left behind. The advice sort of says that pesticides in our food productions are in safe amounts, but it depends on whether you think, you know, what you think the safe amount is and whether you're happy with that. Um, So I would say there's definitely an environmental benefit, but I'm not convinced we've got evidence to show there's significant health benefits. And I would say actually a good wash under some water is, is a really good way to start. So with all your fruit and veg, give it a good wash and a good rinse, and that will help get off a lot of the exterior pesticide residues mm. that are left. So that's a good way to, to begin. That's so interesting. I think we have got so much really useful information from you, yeah. but I have to tell Faye 
a few basically when Beth agreed to come onto the podcast I like I sent her a briefing like I do to all our guests I send them like a a brief of like what we're going to be talking about but I copied and pasted the format over from the podcast that we recorded with Andy Chamberlain about Brexit <laughs> and policy so, the last question on the brief that I said, you know, to Beth, well, these are questions we'll be asking. These are topics. So prepare for these things. The last one was, so what key date should we be aware of around Brexit in, <laughs> in 2020? So two days ago, I emailed Beth and I was like, I'm so sorry. I've just noticed my mistake. And, like, and, and Beth like replied, she said, oh, I've been uh, brushing up my knowledge on Brexit. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I so Beth- thought that it was like an actual question about the... <laughs> Agriculture and and stockpiling. Yeah, I thought you were worried about food shortages and, and medication embargoes. And I was like, I bet I better just get my facts straight because they're going to ask me. My cheeks, actually. <laughs> I felt so bad, but I hope you feel a bit more prepared for Brexit now after your. Uh... Oh, I do. Yeah, December twenty twenty is what we've got to watch out for. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. Get your avocados in now. <laughs> That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening to Freelance Party Broadcast. Join Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers at freelancecorner.co.uk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts app, Spotify or any other podcast platforms. Please like, share and leave us a review and let us know what we should quiz an expert on next time. Thanks, Beth. Thanks. Mm -hmm.